Welcome back to Sealed, a Bible study podcast. I am Tyler Seal. And I am Shiloh Seal. We are going to wrap up this study in First and Second Thessalonians today. Hallelujah. It has been amazing. It has been fun. We are in verse 6 of the third chapter. I'll praise it. God, we thank you. We thank you that you're with us today, Lord. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and that you would be with each one of the listeners and just prepare their hearts to receive whatever you have for them. God, confirm your word in their life. And we thank you, Lord, that you um, that you go before us and beside us. And we just thank you for being here with us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. In our last podcast, we talked a bit about the martyrdom of Paul. And so I just wanted to touch on that briefly and say, it is not 100% known that Paul was fed to lions. That's a commonly held belief traditionally because he was definitely martyred while Nero was emperor of Rome. And he was in Rome when this occurred. Nero commonly threw Christians into the Colosseum to be killed by gladiators or lions. So it's a likely way that Paul met his end. But also at that time, many Christians were beheaded. Many Christians were crucified. This is about the same time period that Peter was crucified. So I don't want to say absolutely 100% that's the way Paul went out. It's just a commonly held belief in the church that that's what happened. Nero was a very wicked emperor with all kinds of wicked martyrdoms under his belt. And I just thought it was important to mention that's not something we all know for sure. It's just the commonly held church view for thousands of years. Yeah, and at the very least, I mean, he died a very brutal death under Certainly. this emperor. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is no. So we're going to jump back in. We are in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Get your Bibles out. Here we go. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled, working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. And that's... That's a callback to other parts of this letter where, like we explained in Mm -hmm. 
um, I believe First Thessalonians four eleven. Mm-hmm. You know, to to be hardworking, to to aspire to a quiet life. You know, he's teaching them these things, and here at the end of these two letters, he reminds them this is a command. This is not optional. This is how a Christian is to live. You're to work quietly and provide for yourself. And in that first verse we read, in verse 6, he says, Keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. And that idleness, that, that was a problem in their time because Christians were beginning to believe and be taught wrongly that because Christ is coming back, there's not really much we should be doing in this world. And Christian work takes on two elements here. It's in the general sense of labor, in the general sense of your job, your your vocation or your work activities. Doing that in a Christian way is part of your Christian labor. The other part, the more important part, is operating in the manifestations of the gift you've been given, whether that's evangelism, whether that's helping, whether that's teaching Sunday school, whether that's preaching, whatever your gifting is, it is vital and needed for kingdom function. The reason the Thessalonian church was able to grow so rapidly and expand was because Paul taught people how to operate in the spirit. And the spirit shows up in your life in a very unique way. There's all kinds of spiritual giftings, but the way I prefer to say it is a spiritual manifestation. And this was taught to me by a dear friend who refuses to to talk about the, the Holy Spirit's gifts. He always talks about the manifestations. It is the same thing, but gift does imply some sort of ownership. Mm-hmm. Like God handed you the ability to prophesy. And so that ability is now yours. And the reason he always called it a manifestation, and I love this, this is beautiful, it's because it keeps you focused on the fact that it's all God. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit showed up in your life in a unique and beautiful way for others' benefit, not Mm -hmm. your own. That's right. For his benefit, not your own. And it's just a good reminder that the Lord taketh just like he gives away, like he can give you a gift Mm -hmm. and he can take it away. And it's not because you're good or bad or anything. It's because the moment requires it sometimes. And sometimes the moment doesn't require it. And so he'll pour something else. And when you have an open hand mentality like that, it's not just because the Lord is always taking, it's because your open hand can also receive something new. Mm -hmm. And this applies to the way we tithe or give. This applies to the way we give or receive or part with a blessing of the Lord. Well, and even sometimes you might have a manifestation of one of these gifts in your life given to you for a season. But if your identity then is, is tied into that gift, oh, I have this and it becomes part of who you are. You're claiming it for yourself. Then, then what, who are you when that's gone? because God is moving you into a different season to do a different thing, then you can feel very um, 
I don't know what the word there that I want to go with is. So, um, well, it can also cause you to feel like ill-equipped or not necessary for a specific task, and <laughs> and that's because you've become rooted in well, this is what I, I'm a pastor. Mm -hmm. And this is not a pastoral situation, so mm -hmm. it must be for somebody else to do. Yeah. Well, he can pour out any of those manifestations on you if you're open to it, if you understand that it's not any specific person that is healing, like laying hands on somebody and praying for their healing. There are people who are more open to it and more blessed in it, in any of these gifts. But I just want every Christian believer to know that if God says, lay your hands on that person and pray for their healing, it does not make you a faith healer. It means your faith enabled you to step forward and be part of God healing someone. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful thing. But it's God who heals. It's Jesus who did the work. Yes. And, and that's why it's important to not try to own a spiritual gift just receive it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean you don't play a role. Your faith and your yes is so vitally important because that is how the Lord has chosen to reveal himself in that moment. Yeah, I think of that um, that gospel hymn, I Surrender All. Yeah. And if you're going to sing it, I hope you mean it. Mm -hmm. Because it really is about surrender. There are kingdom activities that just require your yes. They just require you to not say no. Yeah. Good stuff. And then Paul explains like this whole section. It wasn't it wasn't done to hurt them and he certainly didn't preach something other than he practiced. Right. You know, it is it's an issue in a lot of churches. Should a pastor get paid or should a pastor do the work God called him to do for free? Well, if it's your full-time vocation, if that is your ministry, if that is what you do, you don't always have the time or the ability to also work another job. And so I'm not against a pastor being paid and neither is the Bible. If it is put upon you, to do that ministry, to be a pastor of a church, and the Lord tells you not to take pay, well, that is also blessed by the Bible and taught in the scriptures and what you have to do, because mm -hmm. that's what God called you to do. And out here in Kentucky, I've noticed there are a lot of small churches, mm -hmm. churches that have maybe two or three families. And maybe seven or eight households total or even less you know the churches can be pretty yeah. small out here for that church to thrive i don't think they could pay a pastor a 40 to 70 thousand dollar a year salary that would literally take everything they have which means not a lot of room for other outreaches and ministries whereas if they can raise that 50 to 70 thousand dollars what a blessing it. they yeah. could be to their brothers and sisters or mm -hmm. their, you know, neighbors or, or whatever ministry God calls you to. I mean, I think like Paul, I mean, I think that it, it can be different from 
situation to situation and obviously could be different based on the size of the church. If you have a larger congregation, I would imagine as a head pastor, there's so many more um, responsibilities, daily responsibilities. I mean, you're going to houses, you're going to hospitals, you're um, you're studying, weddings, you're, you're doing, doing funerals, right. you're doing... In a large congregation, it, it requires a full-time position and then some, I would imagine. Yeah. And so to take the pay, but in that same thing, if you are convicted not to take the pay, then... It doesn't absolve you from all that other work. It doesn't, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's a lot on your plate. And also, you know, and I'll just say, that is what the Lord has convicted me of. In the season I'm in, I will pastor and I will, I will preach passionately when the Lord allows and calls me to do it, but I am not comfortable taking any pay for it. I don't take an offering for myself. I take an offering for the house and the ministries of that house. Right. I also, (laughs) I've humbled myself over the years and I know that if somebody feels led to bless me, Mm-hmm. it's not my place to deny them that right because being a blessing is a blessing and I'm not going to rob people of their blessings mm-hmm. because I'm stubborn and won't take something that's offered, but I do not require or request or accept Sorry about that. a particular, you know, salary or wage for preaching. Mm-hmm. It's just not, it's not what I'm called to do. Mm-hmm. Now I've, been taught and sat under pastors who did receive a paycheck and I never felt like that was wrong. Like that's what God called them to do. That is the ministry they provided. But I will say there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, it is way more than a 40 hour a week job. And so that's just a side note, but a lot of where I arrived at my conviction was from reading the letters of Paul and how, even though, and he clearly says here, I could have taken support. It's my right, but I didn't want to, because I'm building this new church. I, you know, God has just begun this church and he sent me here in its very infancy. And I want to be also an example to the average parishioner, the average congregant, the Christian who isn't going to be a pastor. He's not going to be a teacher or a leader. How should he walk? What Mm -hmm. should he do? And especially in this season where they are actually being falsely taught by somebody. It's not made clear who, but somebody was writing letters and preaching that because the Lord is nigh, we don't really need to work. What's the point? Like we're all about to be carried home. The world is about to end as we know it. Why would I keep making candles or making tents or whatever it is your job is? Well, he was saying, like, this is exactly why I kept building tents while I was among you. That Mm -hmm. was my vocation by trade. And I'm good enough at it where I can make a living. Like, I can cover my own needs. And literally, I don't need a house because my trade is making tents, you know, so I'll be fine. And I can support myself. I can feed myself, clothe myself, and I can put a little in the basket just like the rest of you. And he did that intentionally everywhere he went Mm -hmm. to be an example and so that nobody could call back later and say, well, he was just, he was just a taker. He was, just, he was never a giver. He was always just, Hey, pass that collection plate. I'm only going to be here a few more weeks. No, Paul never did that. He taught giving. He taught work 
-hmm. real, you know, hard work with your hands is a benefit to you and the kingdom. And he meant it. He lived it. Yeah. It goes on right there in verse 10. And he says, for even when we were with you, we, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And that is an Old Testament principle. You know, that is root and branch in Christianity. You know, it's a principle you should live by. You should, you should always be willing to help somebody who needs help. But the principle is, if you're not willing to work, well, of course you're going hungry. And it's hard in our culture, you see. I mean, there's just, it's rampant that people just don't want to work. Yeah. And I don't want to spend a whole podcast right now on it, but yeah. I will say this is, this is one of the problems in America right now is the church has abdicated their role as provider for the poor, mm -hmm. as provider for the sick, as provider widows for and the orphans. widows and the orphans. Yeah, widows and, orphans. and That's right. you know, this was, this was a ministry and an office given to us by Jesus yeah. Christ himself. Mm -hmm. It is right. not for the government or for anybody else to take it from us. Now, if they want to have their own programs, so be it. That's great. You know, where we can link arms and lock shields, we should do that. And we shouldn't be so dogmatic to think we're the only ones, because we're Christians, that feel in our heart we should be helping the needy. That's also a very human emotion. Mm -hmm. We are a pack animal. And when you see somebody who is hurting or sick or orphaned or widowed, Christian or not, if you feel like you should be giving to that person or helping that person or guarding that person, mm -hmm. you should. Like mm -hmm. it's also in our nature that God has given us, not just in the commandments we were given. So all I'll say is we should not, we should not think we have the right to abdicate that because not only is it an office given by God to the church, the church is better equipped to do it because we have biblical principles to stand on. Mm. You know, there's a right way to give and there's a right way to help. And there's a way that just enables others. You know, you, you should be teaching men to fish, not just handing out fish. So then we'll continue on. You want to read 13 through 16? Sure. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen. Do not grow weary in doing good almost want to take a poll, you know, how many people out there have grown weary while doing well? You know, it is, it is a thing. There's this exhaustion and attrition that can arise in ministry. And remember this entire section is not, you know, aside from verse 16 and 17, he kind of drops back into prayer mode, but verses 13 well, actually, verses, you know, 6 through 15 are commandments from a senior pastor to believers, to the church. Mm 
He commands them, do not grow weary in doing good. And this is a scaffolding and a bolstering. You know, he knows this church, the Thessalonians are already doing this. They are doing good. And he's telling them, don't grow weary. Keep doing good. Don't get tired of it. Don't walk away from your first love. Don't walk away from the calling that God called you to. If he's called you to do good to your community and do good by your church, keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And this does go back to, you know, is that what happened? Did the American church grow weary in doing good? And so when the government said, hey, we're going to take over all these welfare programs, wow. did we just, you know, in a moment of weariness, turn that, turn those keys over? Wow. Wow. That's just a question. I'm not saying like, I'm building a doctrine on it here or anything, but I do wonder often, you know, how is it that all of these orphan and widow programs, all these welfare programs ended up in the hand of the government when clearly that was something God handed to us as Christians. Mm-hmm. And I love that all of this is one, one thought. When he says, take note of that person who doesn't obey instruction and don't associate with them and let that be a shame on that person. He also says, don't consider him an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So he's talking to Christians, Christians that are not obeying these instructions. You know, take note of those people, mark those people. It's important to do. We don't just let it slip. We don't just let it slide in our pews. When you know that somebody has walked away from their calling or is in outright sin, and these are separate things, but they're both things Paul teaches on a lot. You you notice that person, you call that brother to account in a loving manner. And when you get into these next books, first and second Timothy, you know, there's more teachings on mm-hmm. it, you know, how you're supposed to orderly go to this brother and you're supposed to confront him with his sin, confront him with And Paul is mentioning this nearly like a sin. Do not grow weary in doing good is a command. So to break that is to break what your teacher is telling you to do. Mm -hmm. If anybody does not obey this instruction, don't associate with them. And in 1st and 2nd Timothy, he teaches, you know, there, there does come a point in church correction where you've gone to your brother and he didn't listen. And you've gone to him with others who love him. And he didn't listen to this group. And so you bring him before the whole church and you beg him again. And if he will not listen, you're to, what Paul says is turn him over to the devil. And as we were discussing this, I was pointing out that in that time, there was one church. Yeah. And in God's eyes, there is one church. Doesn't matter what denomination you are. That is not what's looked at. He's not going to have, you know, a Baptist bride, an Episcopalian bride, a Catholic bride, and a, you know, a radical evangelist bride. He's not going to have a Pentecostal bride. He's going to have the bride. That's right. He sees one church. And in this time, everybody saw it as one church. So when you're sending out that brother, because he will not take correction, he will not get back to doing good. He will not get back to whatever ministry God has called him to. You're to turn him over to the devil. And back then that would have made sense. Now it seems like, well, that's an evil thing to do. Why don't I just, why don't I just send him out the front door back into the world 
and he can find a different church because there is no different church. And church is the bride of Christ. It is the light and the life in the world. It is supposed to be the very image bearer of God on earth, of Jesus on earth. It is supposed to be triumphantly and strongly waiting for him to come back. And so to send them out cannot be your first resort. Because the truth is, if the church casts somebody out, the only place you can turn is the world, the devil. So let's not be too quick or unlovingly send somebody away because they've grown weary of doing good or because they are no longer operating in the manifestation that the Lord has provided them. You know, people do go through seasons. People go through struggles. We are to pray them through that. We are to help them as best we can. We are to pray into, are they in a new season? Are they operating in a new way? And I guess I'll also just note here at the end, one of the most pleasing, the most beautiful manifestations of the Holy Spirit is the gift of helping. And it's an underrated gift. Everybody kind of overlooks it. Everybody will like, when you think of a spiritual gift, you think of a faith healer or a pastor or an evangelist who, you know, goes out in the world and operates like Billy Graham did. Everything I just mentioned was surrounded by helpers. People whose spiritual gift was to just, hey, what do you need? Mm -hmm. How can I help? Prayer warriors, people who are the hands and feet of all these ministries. It's the most underrated and very most important manifestation because that's what the Holy Spirit is. He's a comforter. He's a helper. Mm -hmm. He's a great restrainer. And it's a beautiful ministry. And so pray into that. That may be your gift. And that may be why you haven't recognized some, some power-filled, spiritual, authoritative position yet is because God's given you the best gift of all. The gift of, hey, what do you need? Let me help. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Amen. He returns to a final blessing and a final greeting. And I suppose I'll wrap up my piece right there. Do you have anything you'd like to mention as we high five and end this first study? Did we hit verse 17, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which, oh. was, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write. So the beauty and the importance of that, thank you for pointing it out. It's almost like a sarcastic, mm -hmm. pointed glance to the history of the time. The, the, the church was receiving false letters. Right. And so Paul, I feel like the way he said it was boldly, slowly, word for word. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. <laughs> <laughs> which is an authenticating mark in every letter. This is how I write. And that's the CSB version with a pointed, sarcastic slant that I added myself. But I do believe he meant it that way. He was letting them know, hey, if I write you a letter, I'll sign it myself. Even when I'm an old man and my eyes fail me and I got to have Timothy or another young brother write it for me, you'll see my mark. And you will see my signature. I don't want you to be led astray. Yeah. Amen.
All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our multi-part study in the Thessalonians. And I just wanted to thank all of you for joining us through this study. And I hope that you were encouraged and I hope that you are inspired to get into your word. And if you got something out of this, um, feel free to share it with a friend and um, stay tuned for our childlike faith series that hits on Fridays with um, any one of our 10 children. And um, as well, we'll be starting this coming week with a whole new series on our identity in Christ. So stay tuned for that as well. And feel free to share this with a friend. Thank you guys so much and God bless you all.